0: This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on Patreon.com slash Inspiration Point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to...
1: Garlic Bread, Eric, and Spike.
0: And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank...
1: Prostaskius, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, Cheryl, A Bad Idea, and Red Dead Coquette.
0: Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now on with the show. All right. And we're back with another fantastic episode of Inspiration Point. And it's good to be with you, Tiana. It's good to be with everybody else.
1: It is lovely to be here with you as well, Adam. That uh, you know, I'm, you know what i you, you don't have a name anymore. You just, you just like <laughs> the amalgamation of Andrew and Adam because I was reading a message from Andrew earlier.
0: That's right. We are one idea, um, not even a person. No, we're a, just we're a, a- philosophy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just a collection of thoughts. At the end of all of uh, it,
0: what are any of us but just a collection of thoughts? It's honestly.
1: true. But hello, it's good to be here with you tonight. How have you been the last few days?
0: (laughs) Oh, great. We're going to go with great. Um, (laughs) Actually, uh, my esports team, I coach League of Legends at the high school level. And uh, my team had a big win today, which was very good for them. We're starting into regular season and they are chugging along. They're connecting and unifying in a way that I've been wanting to see. I've been going full Ted Lasso on them.
1: Yes.
0: And just bombarding them with the secret ingredient and helping them cultivate that in each other. Uh, because at the end of the day, they're not going to be 60 years old playing League of Legends, right? They're going to be, you know, taking these lessons and bringing them into other things in their lives. But these things in their lives can also make them better at the game in the short run. And so... That's the thing I focus on what the part they need to focus on is just grinding them out and, (laughs) you know, working on the minutia, the little mechanical details. But what I get to really teach them is like how to be a team and um, some macro strategy stuff.
1: I like that a lot. You're you're using the medium of the esports to teach them how to be people and function in a society.
0: (laughs) Right. Because I mean, what's the point? Right. Is 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 the point of these sports really just the sport itself? Is that the end game? Because unless they're going to go pro, <laughs> it really doesn't doesn't do you much good. Sure, 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 sure. You know, or win you a scholarship, I guess. I get, you can win a small scholarship with League of Legends. I don't think there's any full rides out there, but uh, I have had students get them.
1: Man, anything to offset the cost of, of university is a bonus.
0: My daughter, who's 13 and has just finished her first quarter ever of high school, has already got scholarship money. Good lord. That she's starting to build up. And that's not stuff from us. That's just stuff she's signing up for.
1: Good for her.
0: And there's just so many things out there that if you just sign up, you get them. Like, there is free money laying around and people just don't want to do the paperwork.
1: Well, and it's also hard to know where to do the paperwork, because, I mean, this was ages ago at this point. I graduated from university in 2012, so, you know, it's been a long time, but at least for me, it was very hard to find the resources for where the scholarships were, and I guess that's partially because, you know, I was homeschooled, so I didn't have, you know, any assistance from, like, a guidance counselor or an adult who knew where to find those sorts of things, but, man, I, I took six and a half years to get a four-year degree because I didn't get scholarships.
0: There used to, you know, I'm going to sound very old man here, but like there used to be much more of a drive to sort of learn things um, to build skills on their own. And now that it's easier to do that than ever, where we seem to be much more ambivalent about that. And I'm not just going to say, like, youngsters these days, but, like, even myself, like, I do find myself being uh, less curious about learning new things. And I think a lot of that is just we're very distracted by games and very distracted by, well, the things that are literally there to distract us, right? Um, I catch myself just staring at our cats, you know? (laughs) Like, it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I do not regret, but uh, that is I mean, a... I th-
1: there is a certain amount of overwhelm that happens when there's so much information. It's something that I've been thinking about um, because, you know, once I get my, my rig built, I'm planning to take some Skillshare tra- uh, classes to learn how to do some of the things that I do better or to learn new skills in that genre. But it's like, where do you even start with some of that? Like, I don't know what I don't know. And there's such a plethora of information and so much and so many resources that sometimes it's hard to be like, where do you start?
0: Well, especially if there's money involved, because then you're like, okay, this is going to cost me time and money and effort. And I want to make sure that I am investing that in a good place because you also know there's a lot of crap out there.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And you don't want to, like, click on, you know, you know, university of you know a sus guy in russia you know (laughs) and you give them you know a bunch of money and they give you back a pdf that isn't like broken english and then you never hear from them again yeah right no nobody wants that situation and so it can be hard and then of course there's fake information there's fake news fake information everywhere Mm -hmm. and so you're trying to like navigate that so again this is where like the guidance counselor is very helpful right because they can come in and say that when you're a grown up, it's a little hard. But I think the idea of you starting on Skillshare for something is probably a good place. Again, uh, not sponsored, but could be sponsored. <laughs> um, would, would
1: happily be sponsored. But, you would know,
0: happily be sponsored.
1: I, I, I hear a lot about it from people who I trust who are, if not experts in the field, very well versed in the field. They're like, yeah, this is a good resource at the very least to get started.
0: Right. It's just to even know what is the right question to even ask. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, that's that's huge. Um, But the the part of the reason I talk about it is because like when it comes to learning RPGs, I'm actually more surprised when I see a young person reading the books on their own um, or even studying the PDFs. Right. Like that's that's a more rare occurrence than it would have been when I was a kid and we didn't have like good Internet yet. You know.
1: Oh, um, I remember those days when we had to murder a robot in order to connect to the internet.
0: <laughs> That's right. That sound that would come out that was sound. truly horrific.
1: I found that sound again recently for a thing that I was doing. And I, I, the moment I heard it, I was immediately 14 again, sitting in a, in a chair in front of the computer, waiting for the internet to connect.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. And just going. Uh. Did they like go out of their way to find the most obnoxious sound <laughs> they could? Probably. It's just, just horrible. Um, but anyway, they, I, I saw one of my students sitting there, like looking over his various build options and like trying to figure out how to like min max. I'm like, how come all my students aren't doing this? Right. How come the kids in my D and D campaign, half of them know how to make efficient use of their turn. And the other half, you know, are just kind of showing up, you know, um, and not learning. And like, where, why is that curiosity to really Mm. build yourself not there when it's easier to do now more than ever?
1: Yeah, that's a solid Um, question. There may be a sense of like, they already know because they watch stuff like Critical Role or Dimension 20 or, you know, any of the actual plays. And they're like, oh, I know how this works because I saw this. And it's like, well, you know the application of it, but do you understand why it works like that?
0: Even when I watch stuff like Critical Role, I'm very convinced that Matt knows the rules. But I'm not that convinced that the others know them that well.
1: Yeah, um, that's that's probably an accurate statement. Although there are definitely times where people uh, surprise the the GM. Like I saw a clip the other day of Emily Axford absolutely wrecking Brennan Lee Mulligan with uh, the, the use of a spell. And I was like, and he can't argue with it. It was perfectly within the rules. And he was like, you just wrecked this encounter well done (laughs) but also is she the one
0: from college humor yes yes okay i think i've seen that same clip where she's like well actually it says this and and then it should interact this way correct you know and he's like "Oh,
1: yeah (laughs) yeah no It's, it's not, but often, yeah, again,
0: that's, that shouldn't be surprising. <laughs> right.
1: Well, and, and I mean, Bradley Mulligan is one of those people where it's like, you don't expect him to blue screen, but uh, well, <laughs> while, while looking at something and being like, oh, this, it did actually work the way that they said it did. Oh no. uh Oh yeah. Cause I mean, he's one of those yeah. people who just like knows the game inside and
0: out. Well, he's just, he's also just like a master of improv.
1: Oh, he's so good. Yeah.
0: You know? So it's hard to hard to catch him flat-footed, as you would say in 3rd edition. Mm. So, uh, anyway, one of the uh, things that often goes unread, I would say the most unread book in Dungeons & Dragons is the Dungeon Master's Guide.
1: Uh, I can attest to this because I've been playing <laughs> D&D for about six-ish years now. I think I've picked up the Dungeon Master's Guide once, and that was specifically to look at something that I was being pointed at.
0: So... The Dungeon Master's Guide is actually really good, um, and but I will also freely admit that when I first started playing, I was all about the Player's Handbook. That's where I lived. Sure. And then it was the Monster Manual because you realized that this thing saves you time and is just the easiest resource to use. And then, and then you go, well, how do I actually get good? Right. And (laughs) the DMG is is really much more advanced and informative than a lot of people give it credit for. There's a lot of like third party content out there, which is meant to address things missing from the DMG that actually are not missing, but maybe are a little bit harder to find. Sure. And sometimes it's just, well, we're going to build that up. Right. We're going to just we're going to expound on that and make this a, a, a bigger gameplay feature. You know things like crafting, for instance. There's like a hundred and one books about crafting. The Dungeon Master's Guide gives us information on crafting, right? It's it, but it's like intentionally short-winded on all of these things because it's not necessarily the core focus. Sure. Um, and one of the best places in the DMG is where it talks about campaign planning and how to like build your adventure. And like right now I'm building a new adventure and it, there's a lot for me to learn. So it's a little bit daunting. Uh, I'm really glad I have a little bit more time to sort of prepare for it, but it is like, it can be a little overwhelming and and this is where our shortage of GMs comes from to, to a large degree uh, but the resources really are there to make your life a lot easier. And I've actually gone through this section with Andrew in the past, but I thought I would go through it again because it's frankly worth it. And it's also been a long time. So, in fact, I think we also approached it differently.
1: And also, <laughs> I'm just not familiar with it. So uh, I, I relish the opportunity to learn about this.
0: Well, I love relish. Um <laughs>
1: One of the best <laughs> condiments with hot dogs.
0: It really is. I'm just. I love relish and mustard only.
1: Mm, that's, that's what uh, I like. You can have the mustard. I've never been a fan. I'm a ketchup. <laughs> I'm a ketchup No,
0: Ke- Ketchup, no, too sweet. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I I like things to be sweet. I have a very dangerous <laughs> oh, sweet tooth.
0: Doesn't surprise me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Maybe. Hey, we
0: both like we both like bitter coffee. That's what it comes down to. <laughs>
1: Honestly, I, I, you, you, you keep saying this, and I keep having to. Rem- I'm not a huge coffee drinker. My character. Oh, that's are, just your character. My character drinks co- drinks a ton of oh. coffee. I have a large cabinet of tea.
0: Ah, uh, tea. Yes, I'm
1: much more yes. a tea drinker, which can also get bitter depending on the tannins and how long you you steep it. But that's getting into tea nerdery, which is not what this I was podcast about to say, is about. You just
0: said tannins.
1: <laughs> yes, there are tannins in tea, just like there are in uh, red wine.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um,
1: <laughs> sorry,
0: <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, okay. Uh, chapter three, creating adventures. So in chapter three, it gives us a couple of ways to approach crafting an adventure. And it splits us up into two main categories. One being a location based adventure and the other being event based. And the one I want to look at for look at right now is the event based adventure. OK. OK. And so for those of you at home following along, this would be uh, page 75 of the Dungeon Master's Guide or whatever on DD and d Beyond. Uh, if,
1: if, if you're like me and currently looking at it on DD Beyond, it's in Chapter 3, Creating Adventures. And then under the the subheading Adventure Types.
0: Yes. There you go. There you go. So uh, event-based adventures basically says uh, that something happens and everything that we do revolves around that event, right? It says building an event-based adventure is more work than a location-based one. But the process can be simplified by following a number of straightforward steps. And then it goes through and numbers those steps for us.
1: How convenient. Love that.
0: Yes. So number one, we start with the villain and it says putting care into your villain will pay off later since the villain plays such a pivotal role in advancing the story. Use the adventure villains table in the previous section to get started and use the information in chapter four to help flesh out the villain. So it also tells you, you know, where to look at to building up our, our villain. And the villain in a lot of ways is sort of like, what the GM PC is supposed to be, if yes. you will, if you'll kind of like walk that with me. Like nobody wants the GM PC that comes in and helps, right? No, nope. unless it's like an like a just out of control encounter. But even then, you don't want your GM PC to like steal the show. It needs to. Your players need to be the heroes.
1: Yeah. What What are these days? I'd love to talk about the difference between GM PCs and NPCs and the dangers of all of that. So
0: and there there are plenty but there the are thing many. about the about the villain is that you before the game starts you've already played through their story even if it was all just in your mind mm-hmm. because their their plan is coming to fruition either it already has or it's about to right either we need to like counteract everything they've done or we need to stop them from from doing it yeah And how and and none of this they can really do on their own. So we're going to feel their effects throughout the campaign that probably does this the best is like Curse of Strahd. Sure. Where Strahd is, you know, ever present in your life and in everyone else's life. He defines everyone else's experience. And so it he's he is ever present in a way that's made him. Probably the most famous boss of all of Dungeons and Dragons, and for good reason, right? Some of us really want to keep our big bad hidden, and so we don't get to know them until later, but we should always be able to see the effect they've had on the world, and that's where all of our like, chapters and other NPCs and other the, all other character motivations can come from. So I guess then the question would be, how do we come up with this guy? Who is this guy, or gal, or non-binary <laughs> pal, <laughs> or beholder? You know, whatever. You know,
1: uh, I I I, I want to say a beholder is more of the non-binary side, but we don't claim them.
0: Or do they have like one gender per eye? I'm not sure. Ooh, um,
1: that'd be interesting. Be more like myconids.
0: Yeah, there you go. Just. <laughs>
1: But I mean that—that's that, a solid question. Like the the core of any good, one of the cores of any good story, and one of the most memorable parts is the villain or the antagonist. Like what is Star Wars without Darth Vader?
0: Oh yeah, it's boring. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a, it's a very it, it is a huge part of I think the 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 hero's journey because like the part of the call to adventure is identifying the problem, and the problem is very frequently what the villain does to the world. So, yeah, knowing who this person is and what they want and why they want it is such a huge part of storytelling.
0: So, it it tells us that we can use chapter four to help flesh out the villain, and there's a table earlier on in this chapter, it's actually just on the previous page, that at least lets us get started. Mm-hmm. So, I want to look at that table, and... We're actually gonna have you write these things down if you if you can, so that that way we can build a, a an impromptu event based uh, adventure together.
1: Ooh, all right. Didn't know I needed a notebook today.
0: Well, you know, you did do a podcast with a teacher, so sometimes
1: <laughs> it, it, it's t- it's taken like fourteen or fifteen episodes to to get to it. So yeah,
0: I, I did try to hold back.
1: You know what? I I appreciate your restraint, <laughs> but let's do this. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. The when I first started out as a teacher, I was definitely like, I want to be a cool teacher. You don't need notes. Just listen with your heart, man. (laughs) And now I'm like, get out your notes. (laughs) Highlight the things I have highlighted.
1: Pay attention to the Um, definitions.
0: They are important. They are important. This is on the exam indeed
1: so are you referencing the uh the, the one in section two identify uh, important npcs
0: correct so we're looking at adventure villains obviously um that's where we're really at it's worth noting the other ones though like the patron and the allies uh because this is a good way to just kind of like build out what needs to be there mm-hmm. well we'll just focus on the villain for now so um do you have dice handy of course i have dice handy I know. What kind of question was that? <laughs> I would love to say that someday. Like, hey, do you have your notes out? Of course I have my notes out. I'm at school. <laughs> Gosh, I w- wouldn't that I would be just nice? like cry with joy.
1: <laughs> just <laughs> just sit sweet. down with, with these big tears flowing into, you, into your magnificent beard. I'll
0: just call my father. <laughs> Dad, someone said it.
1: <laughs> they said the thing.
0: <laughs> they said the thing. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, son.
1: Oh, glorious.
0: Okay, so give us that D20 roll to get us started.
1: All right, so I rolled a five, which is Giant Bent on Plunder. Sounds a little bit like, uh what's her face, the hill giant from uh, Storm King's Thunder. From Storm
0: King's. Yeah, Chief G.
1: Yeah, G. Who we She's were. one of
0: the best villains ever. And we were
1: horrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you guys annihilated her in the worst ways possible. Um... I mean, she had it coming. So she only had herself too- to blame. She only had <laughs> herself to blame. Uh, and you would have done the same. Excellent, okay.
1: thank you. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, Chicago. I'm not uncultured swine. Usually,
1: <laughs> I never, I never assume that other people uh, know musical references unless they're in my theater corners.
0: Yeah. Well. Uh, also, my father was a drama teacher, so that'll do it. Uh, that'll do it. <laughs> Although he never did Chicago, but I was at least exposed to
1: it. I mean, Chicago, Chicago's is a hard one to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially for high school. Mm-hmm. Uh All right. So we're going to have a giant bent on plunder. Um. So now what we want to do is like, we'll just keep that as a note right now. Let's start with the villains actions. All right. So going back to uh, event based adventures, point number two. Determine the villain's actions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. And so that gives us a D6 roll. So let's go ahead and look at that.
1: All right. Uh, one big event.
0: Okay. Well, there you go. And big event reads The villain's plans come to fruition during a festival, an astrological event, a holy or unholy rite, a royal wedding, the birth of a child, or some other fixed time. The villain's activities up to that point are geared towards preparation for this event. Excellent.
1: There's all sorts of things that you can do with that sort of thing, from, like, um, Sleeping Beauty, the, the, the birth of the princess... To, you know, the stars have aligned for, and all the planets are in line for this particular thing. Uh, the very first D&D game that I was in had that where, like, every hundred years, this family would, would try to do something, would try to complete a ritual at this particular time, and every time they were thwarted, until they weren't.
0: Oh, yeah. And then, once it worked out, that's that's your campaign.
1: Mm-hmm. And that was where the campaign started.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, so... Uh, we can build out that villain a little bit more later, but let's just say, what is your favorite type of giant?
1: Ooh, okay. Um, I think my absolute favorite that I've encountered has has been storm giants, but they don't strike me as the type that would you know be bent on plunder unless it's something like uh, gathering magical items or something like
0: that. So one thing that that storm that sets and defines storm giants is their interest in the occult and like seeing the future. They like prognosticating and soothsaying. And so for them, they want to get some sort of like information. Usually Mm -hmm. they want they, they want to build their strategy around knowing what is going to happen. So that might be a good place to start. And, and that also brings up an, another point. Like if, you're, if your villain is going to be a monster, then learning how those monsters typically behave, even if you're going to subvert that, is still like very important to know. It's usually cloud giants that are interested in items. Oh, fair enough. And And gathering artifacts. And it's fire giants that want to build a thing. Like for Fire Giants, I think I would say the event is Mount Such-and-Such is going to erupt at this time, and that's what it's going to be hot enough for them to make Super Weapon, right? Something like that. Sure. Or it if it's Cloud Giants, then they're getting together to uh, collect the 10 MacGuffins that will, at this time, give them the power that they need to do the thing. And in Chief Guz case it is. I want to win the ordining, so I need to eat as much as I can to be the biggest giant there is.
1: From a certain logical perspective, her plan makes <laughs> so much sense. I'm actually kind of angry at how much sense that makes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, listen, me biggest giant, so exactly. that pretty much settled it.
1: The, the most giant of giants.
0: It's like, hmm. Never thought of it that way. (laughs) Maybe maybe I've been overthinking this. Um, Okay, so uh, we can come back to that later. Step three says, determine the party's goals. You can use the event-based goals table, which is below, to set the party's goal. The goal can also suggest ways in which the adventurers become caught up in the villain's plans and what exactly they must do to foil those plans. So this also touches on like, what is the gameplay going to sort of focus on, mm-hmm. you know, because that's usually one of the first questions you get when you say, I am going to be running a campaign. They're going to be like, what am I going to be doing? Yeah. Because they want to know if they should make a ranger. That's really what it comes down to.
1: <laughs> are we um, going to be out in the woods or are we going to be literally anywhere else?
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Are we in the north? Because that's going to decide something. Am I in a desert? you know what are we going to be fighting big monsters or a bunch of little ones like these are the things we want to know so anyway that's a d20 so give us a d20
1: all right uh that is a 14 which is stop a band of smugglers
0: okay so our giant i guess is using smugglers to get what they need so that's starting to tell me maybe it maybe it's cloud giants collecting artifacts or maybe it's fire giants collecting uh, like, or. Sure. Or hill giants collecting food.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> you don't usually need smugglers for that problem, though. <laughs> In fairness. We need
0: smugglers for these chickens. They're smuggling chickens. What do we do?
1: You know. Uh, nothing. Uh, absolutely nothing. <laughs> they're, they're feeding someone.
0: They're just selling chickens. I <laughs> I don't care.
1: I I kind of love the idea of of it being cloud giants gathering gathering uh, artifacts and using smugglers from across the world to be like that's there. Okay, let's uh let's grab that thing. And that that could even be like the hook. End is this artifact went missing. We need help getting it back.
0: Yeah, that's. I think that's when you start to create and follow some of these tables the the brain just fills in some of the gaps right and it starts to come together naturally uh cloud giant collects artifacts through smuggling in order to do a big event that's what we have so far and that's that's a great start
1: yeah that that that, that is a solid place to to begin because then you can um build out the 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 meat of the rest of the story around that basic skeleton
0: yep you really can and. When you say to players, well, you're going to be largely trying to stop smugglers, they can be like, okay, I can make a character that does that. You know, like someone might think, well, someone needs to find the smugglers, so I'm going to make like a spy character. And someone's like, well, someone needs to beat up the smugglers, (laughs) you know, but I'm probably going to be in a more like more of a settlement than I am going to be in the wilderness when this happens. So maybe I'll make the fighter instead of the barbarian. Not that it has to be that way, but that just might be a consideration. Sure. Right. So there's all kinds of possibilities there. Their own backstories can be like something I have maybe is lost. And maybe that's why I'm interested in these smugglers. Mm hmm. Because maybe they're they're taking something from my homeland or whatever.
1: Or maybe, or maybe they were originally part of this band of smugglers, and something is hinky and off and wrong, and they want to try and find out what's going on.
0: Yeah, I was all down with smuggling till I realized that we were smuggling people.
1: You know, uh, there there are some lines that people just don't want to cross.
0: I think that was literally Isabella's storyline in uh, Dragon Age Two, basically was like, oh, there's people here. I'm no longer down with this.
1: Well, that was also Jack Sparrows thing in in the Pirates of Caribbean movies where where he mm-hmm. was like, I was fine being a pirate and all of the smuggling or all of the the, the fighting the drinking, the killing. but the moment that that you brought uh, slaves on board and people people aren't cargo
0: mm-hmm yeah, and that gives our our hero, however anti-hero they may be, something for us as an audience to like like about them. Right? Yeah. Because why should we care about Jack Sparrow? Well, if there are lines he won't cross and if there is something he cares about, then that is something that's going to help us get on his side. Okay. Number four says, identify important NPCs. Many event-based adventures require a well... Oh, sorry. Adventures, not adventurers. <laughs> require a well-detailed cast of NPCs. Some of these NPCs fall neatly into the categories of allies and patrons. But most are likely to be characters or creatures whose attitudes towards the adventure remain undecided until the adventurers interact with them. So, chapter four will get us more into detail with those characters. But just real quick, I'll say, our villain is probably going to have lieutenants. Whether or not he calls them, he or she calls them lieutenants, you know, is is whatever. But they're not going to do all of this on their own.
1: No, they can't do
0: that. So if we're going with our cloud giant, maybe there's other cloud giants that work with them. Maybe there's other sort of air elemental based characters that can work with them. I know that there is there is a cult of like the element and plane of air that has a very small part in Storm King's Thunder.
1: Yeah, that also shows up in uh, Princes of the Apocalypse.
0: That's right. So, uh, you know, that could come into play. There could be also other air-based creatures that need your help. You know, how is the smuggling being done? You know, presuming that our cloud giants live in, you know, towers on floating rocks. (laughs) You know, we're not really going to take a dinghy out (laughs) with a bunch of boxes on it, unless that's then being transported from somewhere else to the sky. So somebody, like, enslaving rocks in order to, like, fly up there? You know, and now we got to free the rocks is that now I've already built another chapter, right? At least the idea from one of the chapters, like we have to interrupt the ring. So and and what that looks like is like, well, obviously, if they live in the sky, it has to get to them some way. So is there maybe now I have sky ships or I have giant eagles or I have. I don't know. Uh, gnomes with uh, little helicopters. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I mean, you, you get enough artificers working on a problem, you're going to get flight.
0: <laughs> or just other cloud giants that just throw you really hard <laughs> into the sky. Just yeet. <laughs> just yeet you up there. <laughs> so uh, lots of options there. Uh, the other type that it was talking about was patrons. Um so patrons are going to be like your quest giver. It's going to be the person that tells you what to do. Maybe even gives you the supplies or pays you. Um, traditionally, the patron uh, sort of like our patrons.
1: <laughs> yeah, nice. Are going to well be people. Th-
0: I know, I know, I know. Are going to be people that give you money to do the thing, right? And uh, the way a lot of D and D adventures go is, patron pays you to do a job that's unrelated to the adventure. You go to do the job and the adventure takes you away from the job. And then you forget about the job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Happens a lot.
1: Most of the time, I'd say.
0: <laughs> um, and then, you know, of course, you're going to want people that other that provide other useful things like you might have your general store worker that's going to help you with all the adventuring gear. You probably have some sort of weapon or blacksmith that is going to, you know, help you dump your cash into something or to craft pieces of monsters into cool things. You know, there's there's all kinds of things that other NPCs can do. Uh, One trouble I run into a lot when I'm running a game is I end up making too many of them. (laughs) My my casket's too big and I have to learn to consolidate a little more.
1: I have I have the opposite problem. Uh, I tend to like focus in so hard on on the PCs that when they're like, well, you know, is there a boat captain that can get us here? I blue screen for a second before going, <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Let me pull up the random name generator because you're gonna ask in like five seconds.
0: Yep. I we have a funny story of a of a bard uh, in one of my games who is uh n- he got his name from my exclamation. I said uh, when being asked what his name was, and now that's just his name. <laughs> so, but this show's uh, family friendly. I was going to so say it's, it's the uh, it's
1: the it's one of the exclamations that you can't say on this show.
0: That's right. That's okay. right. But uh, he became a beloved NPC.
1: You know, it's funny how that happens.
0: It is funny how that happens. Uh, trap uh, section five. Anticipate the villain's reactions. Obviously, the villain is not just gonna like wait till the heroes show up, right? And Strahd's really good about doing this. He's like, Hey, you've been doing stuff. Tell me about that. Maybe stop doing this stuff or do other stuff. <laughs> right? This is a good time for the villain to show up and say, Here, let me monologue and tell you why I'm in the right or why you should join me. You know, they they're not just gonna sit there and do nothing. Um, you, they might send assassins after you like Taryn Logan does. Mm, yeah. Which is how we meet Zevrin.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, our favorite bisexual disaster.
0: <laughs> so true. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but yeah, I mean, that's part of the fun. That also lets players know that like, hey, you did a thing and that has consequences or at the very least it has reactions, right? Like something there's going to be cause and effect. And you know, when players know they're getting under the skin of the bad guy, they really like that feeling. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, there are a few things more satisfying than than being the gnat that is bugging the the villain where it's like, ah yes, <laughs> I I have an irritant, and somehow you can't you can't swap me.
0: <laughs> yes, I may not be able to destroy you yet, but I did take the last piece of pizza <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm sorry. You you wanted the centerpiece of the brownies. Sorry, I got there first.
0: Enjoy your corner. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes on you. I like the corner. Nobody likes the corner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard of people who like the corners. I do know people who who do, and I'm just like, but it's all it's so crunchy.
0: <laughs> you want that centerpiece? Yeah. The centerpiece is obviously the best choice. Obviously. Um. All right, six. Detail key locations. Since locations aren't the focus of the adventure, they can be simpler and smaller than a dungeon complex or an expansive wilderness. This is where I differentiate a little bit. What I like to do is kind of combine the two adventure types. Yeah. And then I like to say, okay, ostensibly... This D&D adventure is about dungeons and it's about dragons. (laughs) It's just that instead of dragon, it might be some, you know, cloud giant a-hole who's running a smuggling ring. Okay. But it's it's for all intents and purposes a dragon. And in, in every location that's involved in this plot, these are dungeons. They may not be underground prisons, but they are dungeons <laughs> for all intents and purposes.
1: Yeah there, there, there are still important they are still important locations and they tell you a lot about the villain or in or uh, conversely the villain influences them quite a lot like like you pointed out, uh, probably like the big fight is going to be in the the cloud giant's tower on this floating rock. That is a unique sort of structure and that does i think need to be more detailed than just a collection of rooms.
0: Correct. You don't know how does it function? Is there a room that keeps it floating? Is there a room where they make food? Is there a room where they have their armory and their plans? Is there, you know, the cloud giant prince's bedroom that's full of uh, things that are both useful as well as embarrassing to him?
1: And the and the most important room, where is the bathroom?
0: Where is the bathroom? We need to know how cli- cloud giants take care of this. And we just realized that it's just the balcony.
1: <laughs> well, that does tell you a lot about their attitudes toward things, which kind of makes and, sense.
0: And that's where Chief Go lives.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh.
0: What they call the outhouse, she just calls the house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it was a whole thing in on on the uh, case from the Golden Vault, where uh, in the very first adventure, a, a bathroom was where all the planning took place, and ever since then, it's like, but where's the bathroom in this adventure? <laughs> and if it's not explicitly put on the map. Uh, we, we, we nag until we find out what, what, I mean, how can you have a casino without bathrooms? This doesn't make any sense.
0: That'd also be funny. Your villain's like, I know they're in the bathroom, but I'm not going to barge into the bathroom.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm a villain, not a monster.
0: Not a monster. (laughs) It's the ladies room. They're all ladies. There's nothing I can do.
1: (laughs) Hands tied. Sorry, man.
0: (laughs) I gotta wait till they come out.
1: (laughs) That would be a really fun villain to run, to be honest. Someone who is just so, who is so like lawful, neutral to lawful evil that it's like, no, the social mores have to be upheld, even to my own detriment.
0: Right. They're just like comically domesticated. They're basically just British.
1: <laughs> oh, so, no.
0: <laughs> it's just a British comedy.
1: Oh, yeah. That. <laughs> oh, no. I have ideas now.
0: That's terrible. So what I would recommend doing on, on six is turning back a couple of pages and then going through the, the tables that help you build these locations. And then what I would say is, how does the giant use those locations in order to get, to run their smuggling ring or to get whatever they want? Like if one of them's a mine, then he's probably interested in the mine because that's where one of the artifacts is, is rumored to be located. Okay, this other one is a castle. Well, the king possessed it, and it's part of his crown, and it's somewhere in there. And so there's reasons. Now I'm, like, placing all the little MacGuffins where they're supposed to go mm-hmm. in order for the, the players to to interrupt. And then I might make a rule that says, okay, after they've stopped the smuggling of two of the artifacts, then the villain's going to show up, and they're going to have, like, kind of like a, a mid-story crisis Maybe this is where they get captured or something. I don't know. Or maybe they just thumb their noses at each other and then move on. <laughs> you know, stuff happens, but we get to go, okay, this is the bad guy. Here's who we're dealing with. But we're going to do the full resolution later. Mm-hmm. Right? That's usually a good idea.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, I, I will forever hold that one of the biggest problems with Storm King's Thunder is that you the, you don't know who the villain is to our, until the very end, which means they don't have the chance to, like, come and thumb their noses at you and, you know, rem- really tell you, well, why are you doing this? What's the point?
0: Yeah, I would say the two biggest problems with Storm King, Storm King Thunder is one, the villain, and two, the Storm King.
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly, yes.
0: Because it's, it's, it's stupid. And, <laughs> like, the, it just could have been handled very differently. So I've I completely changed my outline for it, where – The whole thing is, like, go collect giant runes so that you can take them to the Temple of Anam and then declare a winner and end the ordining. I think that that's just a lot simpler. And every dungeon there should probably be something you run through in order to get the runes that you need in order to help your favorite giant win the ordining or to... You know, let the Goliath on your team become the leader or something or you can connect it to dwarves or you can just say no one get, wins the ordnning. I'm getting rid of the whole thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Imrith's just there to like maybe try to stop you from solving the problem because she likes the problem. But the real final villain just needs to probably be the last giant you need stuff from. Which, maybe that should be the Storm King. Maybe Hecaton should just be an antagonist. And I think that that might be better, but I don't know. So, um, mine's kind of gone off the rails a little bit, my second run-through, where the the my group has decided they're really interested in the Ring of Winter
1: oh, itself.
0: Well. And, <laughs> and they don't care about the giants. So, they're just trying to get that.
1: I mean, in fairness, <laughs> that is a truly fascinating artifact.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So they're trying to track down our December and they're they're trying to use the Zhentarim to use the bloodstones to find them. And that's a perfectly viable adventure as well. Yeah. So um, anyway, <laughs> let's uh, number seven says choose an introduction and a climax, which is very, very interesting that that that's where it would kind of go. But it makes a lot of sense because these are like some of your most interesting set piece moments and you want them to to sing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a really fun thing to think of. Like, what does that final battle look like? What does what does that intro look like? Because, uh, you know, once you've once you've got those again, these are just things you now need to connect to. As opposed to you know trying to come up with them in a linear way, so one thing you can do for for anything that you're trying to plan, be it D and D or whatever, is to begin with the end in mind, and that climax is that end. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, what is the big memorable moment that happens that they're going to be talking about? Because that's probably going to be it.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, that is. One of the hardest—I was actually talking about this last night uh, after running uh, after running a fendelver and Below with one of my players. One of the things that I think is the hardest, in some ways, with TTRPG stories, is uh, the ending, sticking the landing.
0: Yeah, it's really really tough, and usually that comes from, you know, either not having a good plan or being so uh, committed to your plan that mm-hmm. isn't working. Where you do need to adjust.
1: Yeah. A certain amount of flexibility is absolutely paramount for that sort of thing.
0: You know, and that's another thing they say in writing is to kill your darlings, right? Yep. And and so it this can be a darling that you think of that can be very motivational for, for you to set up. But you do have to realize that sometimes that plan does need to change. Mm-hmm. Not always, but sometimes it needs to change.
1: Yeah. Like I mean, for in the example of the Storm Kings Thunder game that you're running, uh, It's going to be really different now because they're not focused on the thing that you thought they'd be focused on.
0: So either I need to tie that up real quick and tell them that it's fruitless, which I don't want to do because that's going to be disappointing for them. Or I just need to like say, okay, I'm going to resolve it because they found it. Or Simber is now just one of their allies. Or, you know, I'm just going to straight give them this artifact and then tell them to solve the real problem. And that'll feel cool because now they'll have a cool weapon.
1: They'll have know? a cool weapon that'll try to turn on them. I love the Ring of Winter.
0: Yeah. So some some of the worst things you can do is give players what they want.
1: It's so true. And by the
0: worst thing you can do, I, I mean the best thing you could do.
1: <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's it's well, and yeah, it, that that definitely plays off of oh, you got what you thought you wanted, um, and now you get to deal with the consequences, and that's always fun.
0: Well, and then on a deeper level, it's like, well, I need power in order to attain the freedom I desire. Sure. But then it's like, okay, but this is power, not freedom. They didn't necessarily go together. What is it that's really important to you? It's like, well, maybe it's not power. Maybe it's the cleric that, you know, I love now. And now I need (laughs) to, like, think about that instead, you know? Which is uh, what we might call a character arc. So that's
1: nice. You know, just a little bit of a little bit of a shift in person.
0: That's what we want. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's say I'll, I'll ask you this, Tiana, in, in what we've kind of been planning uh, out so far. What does that climax look like? What is happening at the apex of the story um, as we're, we're coming to the end of Act 3?
1: Hmm. So I think, like, like I said earlier, that it would have to be in the cloud giant's tower that's, you know, floating up above. Ooh. I think one of the more interesting ways to handle it would be to have most of the artifacts there and have them be turned on the cloud giant for whatever they're doing. maybe they... Hmm. I mean, I guess, it, I guess it depends on what this the cloud giant is specifically trying to do like we've established that it's an event but we haven't established necessarily what the event is
0: let's let's decide that so the events that it had listed uh were a festival an astrological event which we talked about like the planets aligning right a holy or unholy rite, a royal wedding the birth of a child or some similar fixed time so How about a wedding? Let's make it a wedding, a cloud giant wedding. Love it. Okay. And the ring that they need is the ring of winter.
1: (laughs) Okay, sure. Why not?
0: Uh, And the ring of something else so that they can exchange them. (laughs) And maybe the room is full of all the other um, wedding gifts that are also magical artifacts. And during that final battle, both the players and the giants are running around trying to grab these things and use them on each other.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the Yakety Sax music plays in the background.
0: (laughs) And also, uh, something went wrong. The the wrong laser hit the wrong thing. And now the tower is about to fall out of the sky. Or maybe it is falling. So so there's a ticking uh, clock. So there's a ticking clock now. And we have to escape. Uh... You know, in Zephyros's tower or jump on the backs of griffins or rocks or um, cast fly, you know, something, right? That's a pretty exciting little piece. Yeah. Magical artifacts zap- zapping each other and your main villains in a wedding dress.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love the mental image of that. That's kind of fantastic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you didn't ruin my plans You ruined my wedding <laughs> How dare you Oh my gosh this has
1: like Bowser feels With uh, Super Mario um, Odyssey
0: Her magical item is Mascara of running <laughs> She's really upset
1: I'm Super upset Oh my gosh
0: <laughs> And She literally transforms into Bridezilla Halfway through <laughs>
1: That's the second phase of of the the boss fight. Is the Bridezilla? Oh
0: my God! Imberith's back. She's Bridezilla. Yes. She was trying to marry the Cloud <laughs> Giant King.
1: That's why she took him captive because because he uh, he he wouldn't he wouldn't uh, return her affection. So she became a, 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 a Yandere. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> That's perfect.
1: Oh gosh. <laughs> there there's there's no seriousness in this campaign now.
0: oh my gosh
1: (laughs) but yeah that that i i love that as like the culmination and and then i mean and that sets the tone right because like if you know at least approximately what the final thing is going to be and what you know what kind of tone it's likely to take especially with the people that you have you can you can set that tone and that theme pretty much from the beginning where it's like it's kind of an absurd situation but we're all taking it seriously and that's part of the absurdity.
0: Yes, absolutely. It, it, this this could be taken seriously. You know, uh, if if uh, Imrith has taken the place of an actual person or has developed actual feelings for the Cloud Giants oh my or God. something. Or we have developed relationships with one of them. Gasp! You know.
1: <laughs> Ooh, the drama. That's reality television levels of drama right there.
0: <laughs> you try to ruin their wedding by transforming into the person they're getting married to <laughs> so they marry you oh my
1: <laughs> wow yeah that's screwed we'll up we'll call
0: this one Cloud King's Blunder <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> oh
0: gosh let's send it to print I think we're good <laughs> we're done here we did it <laughs> I really want to write this adventure now like I'm not even kidding it's, a, it's so absurd that I think it would be fun And it would still make more sense than actual Storm King's Thunder.
1: And that's what's so sad about it.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay. And then it also said, told us to uh, have an introduction. So how do we start this story out?
1: (laughs) I I think that what you said earlier about like uh, stuff disappearing because the smugglers are pulling from it, having that be where it's like they get hired by, you know, someone who uh, someone who owned an artifact that the smuggler stole that is being delivered to one of the guests of the wedding. That, <laughs> <laughs> because this is this is this is just like a huge uh, planet wide or at least continent wide thing where it's like no no in order for this wedding to go off well every one of the the wedding gifts has to be like legendary or artifact level quality
0: right we'll accept like if you want to be invited that's the that's the invitation to get in <laughs> and they all have to be like plays on common wedding gifts oh my god! so so like it, the magical cauldron is like the crock of pot <laughs> you know I swear at my wedding we got three crock pots
1: <laughs> i believe it they're they're pretty common wedding <laughs> gifts <laughs>
0: You know, somebody's got, like, curtains, but it's, like, you know, something something magical-sounding. Um, you know, somebody's got, like, a towel set, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Um, but each one of these things is mega-powerful.
1: <laughs> Some kind of, like, an air fryer or something, especially for, like, a cloud giant.
0: <laughs> a dinette set. Uh-huh. Um, Nolzer's Marvelous Pigments. Ooh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you can... This is where you can get the really wacky uh, out of pocket items, you know, <laughs> that that are just really crazy. Um that could be that could be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, so I so I think that that's so, what, I think that's where it starts is like uh there the these are these adventurers are from a city or from a region and they are hired by uh, the the resident ruler to retrieve the thing that had been stolen. And then they start finding just how big this whole thing is that the smugglers that they're dealing with are just one small part of a large operation. But what, what are they doing with all of these items?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that, that that's great. Um, and I would actually go a little further because I think thinking of the climax first, then tells you how to foreshadow that climax. Mm. And so like your intro might take place at a mundane wedding.
1: I like that.
0: Yeah. And somebody like runs off with the treasure chest of donations and the like bride sad and you run off to go to go get it. And then you do a a pretty simple little adventure to, to get these stolen goods back. You bring it back and they're like, oh, thank you so much. But it impresses the right person at the party. Who says, um, you know, if you guys are good at that sort of thing, I might have something for you to do. And then that can become your patron. Right. And then we're off to the races. And it'll be all the more satisfying when you pay that off later on in the story where you're you are now the smuggler at the wedding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is absolutely absurd. And I love it.
0: (laughs) So. All right. All right. The last thing that it tells us to do is to plan encounters. So um, one thing I really recommend is the random encounter table. They're fun to make. They're fun to do. Um, They give a certain amount of randomness that can be exciting and fun. But you just want to make sure that the things on the table are thematic and appropriate to what's going on in the world. Yeah. And where it's taking place. And then don't do so many that, like, you're going to burn out. After they have rolled some dice, you can go in and replace some of the items, or you can just start saying nothing happens and just move on more with the plot, right? You know, because you might kind of graduate out of the random encounter, right? And that's fine, too. But also, we're going to want to plan the encounters within our, quote-unquote, dungeons, right? So what are the different encounters in the final... Uh, dungeon of the um, wedding tower in the sky, you know, uh, what about the smugglers docks? Um, what about uh, the mines and uh, all those things? So, you know, each one of those is already suggesting to you what each of these rooms needs to be doing. And now, now you're just filling it in, right? It's all of this chapter really did. Is tell you uh, what the outline is and invite you to fill it fill it in, and that's really all you need from it, frankly.
1: Yeah, because now you have the the, the bullet points. Because you don't want to f- you don't want to fall into the trap of over of over preparing, but you do want to know what the skeleton of it all is, so that you can you know hang the muscles on the skeleton and then start flushing it out from there.
0: Yeah, precisely right. And I really at that point have no more to add, other than to say, remember that the book. You know, refers us to other chapters to help build all these things out. And this was by no means a comprehensive writing, but everything that we just covered is about two pages. Yeah. And so, again, DMG, highly underrated, very useful.
1: Yeah, I should probably pick up my own copy of it at some point. Uh, I, I can <laughs> I can work off of D and D Beyond, but I it's getting to the point where I'm getting deep enough into actually like GMA that these are good things for me to have and good things for me to know.
0: Okay, that's that's a good thing. You know what? I think I will make it a gift for you. I will I will buy you the DMG for some missed birthday or Christmas <laughs> or something. That's sweet. And then that way, I don't have to think about what to get you next time. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I think that about does it for me. What do you think?
1: I think that uh, I think that you're right. That the DMG is a very underutilized resource. So uh, feel free, folks, to to dig deeper into the various corners of the DMG and see what little missed treasures you may not know about. Whether and honestly, that applies to you if you're a player too. I know it's a little bit sacrilegious to say that, but thinking about the game in a different direction, I think never hurts.
0: Absolutely not. Get out of your own way. And remember, you're not better than the DMG, you know, just give it a shot. You're going to have to do the heavy lifting anyway.
1: <laughs> this tool might be the, the, the lever placed in the right place to help ease some of the heavy lifting to make things a little bit easier for you. And we're all about that because I'm lazy.
0: as well you should be because (laughs) you have to be not lazy about so many other things in your life oh it's true so
1: well then uh if that if that wraps us up for this for this evening that does all right well then thank you all so much for joining us and we will see you next time for more inspiration point but until then stay inspired (laughs) bye-bye Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way.
0: Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube.
1: Join us next week for more inspiration.